Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to Rochast, the flagship podcast of the Swagged Out Pope. God, I love the Swagged Out Pope so much. <laughs> if human, if AI ends humanity, but we got Swag Pope, it'll it's have okay. been fine. Like honestly, like it's like, worth it. Put a sign on Earth that's like "Here lies Swag Pope." <laughs> Passing aliens, like just send that message out. Like you know, there's other civilizations in the universe where like, why have we never heard from anyone? And there's that theory that every civilization gets to about this point and collapses. We just need to send the message now. It's if you pope. see Swag Pope, you probably have 25 years left. <laughs> that was us. We did that. <laughs> we, we know something. <laughs> That's what we it's leave behind. Drippy Pope, man. It's like, just shut it down once you get there. Hi, I'm Neil. I'm your friend. Alex Granz is here. I'm your friend who you don't know if I'm real unless you check how many fingers I have in the photo. <laughs> David Pierce is here. Hi. I'm suddenly realizing I have a puffy jacket upstairs and that like maybe I should have been wearing it for this podcast. Oh, yeah, uh, you should have. absolutely should have. Yeah, now I, that we've moved into video. I'm so sorry. We all we got to take we got to start taking style cues from the Pope. Yeah. Just in general, we should. I mean, honestly, why have I not been dress, dressing like the head of a church this whole time? Let's talk about the Pope. An amazing sentence to say on this our technology podcast this week midjourney which is a generative ai tool that makes images released an update the images can now be vastly more photorealistic and the first thing that happened was people made images of the pope just absolutely swagged out in a gigantic white puffy coat well actually the the best part of this is that's the second thing that happened the okay. first thing that happened was somebody tweeted a generated picture of Donald Trump being arrested that no one fell for. And actually it sparked this really interesting thing about like, oh, look at this fake picture. Someday people are going to fall for these, but it didn't become a thing. And then literally a couple of days later, the Pope swagged out in a giant puffy coat gets everybody. <laughs> that got him. Yeah. So, I, and, and this is like the heart of this story. This is like the most verge casty thing. Why did the information environment know not to fall for Trump being arrested, even though he's tweeting, I'm about to be arrested. Right. And then everyone, I think, had the same reaction, which is they were scrolling on whatever feed somewhere. And like, you know, the swagged out Pope showed up and everyone was like, oh, that rules and like moved on. <laughs> right. And like, there are no stakes to falling for it. Right. 
And so no one applied their like critical thinking skills until later when various writers and people were like, hey, the, the fake Pope is a portent of doom that we all had to like take a step back. You should go look at these images. If you haven't seen, I, would, I, I can't imagine you're listening to the show. We, James Vincent wrote a great piece. Uh, the headline is the swagged out Pope is an AI fake. And an early glimpse of the new reality, a perfect Verge headline. I love it. You should go read that piece. You should go look at the images. They are remarkably realistic. There are some pieces of them that make it easy to spot, like this new version of Midjourney. It's kind of like everything's like a little too HDR. Everything kind of looks like the clarity slider in Lightroom has been turned up too far. So they have a style, which is interesting in and of itself. Like you tell Midjourney, make a thing that looks like a real photo and it is like okay we've mined zillow for the most whacked out <laughs> hdr real estate photos that can exist and that's the style we're using well and pope. one of the things i thought was really interesting is there have been people like with some of these trump photos that are starting to come out where you can say things like make it look like it came out of a tv camera and the people making these images are getting better and better at teaching the system how to replicate the weirdness of photos that we see in the world because in a weird way like Instagram has trained us to not notice that a photo isn't real anymore. Like first we had filters yeah. and now we have all these incredibly nuanced tools that people can use to change things. And it's generally true that if you look really, really, really hard, you can figure it out, right? Like there are, there are telltale signs in like the, the dynamic range and the contrast and often the hands. But like the argument that you should zoom this photo to 200% and inspect every pixel in order to see if this is real is ridiculous. And we're way past that point. Like the idea that you can just sort of quickly look at it and be like, that's not what faces are, which is what these things were six months ago. Uh, yeah. We're so far down the road of like, this looks like a regular photo that a normal human might have edited to have this kind of style and then posted on the internet. Like we've crossed some Rubicon there. The Pope one is really interesting because his glasses are melting onto his face. Like it's, it's right in front of you. Yeah. Like you don't have to necessarily, you should go look at his hands. Everyone should go look at this picture. There's a bunch of stuff in it that would tell you. But the first one is that his glasses are melting into his face. Well, you're too distracted. And you just sort of overlook it. Unscroll. You're like, I don't know. Look at that jacket. And you just like miss it. Yeah. The jacket is really, really good. Like I want that jacket. I wish the jacket existed. The one that makes it <laughs> look like it's got like the little Pope Cumberbund built in. I was like, yeah. yes. Beautiful. No notes. I don't even care that his glasses are melting into his face. That's just an aesthetic <laughs> choice for him, I assume. Yeah. And, and as James points out in his story, there's a couple of other things too, right? Like the the cross he's wearing on a necklace is is sort of warped and melted like Salvador Dali style. His hand looks crazy with the, yep. the thing that he's like, if you spend 15 seconds with this photo, you can pretty quickly figure out it's not real. But like, how many photos do you spend 15 seconds staring at going, is this a thing? Like, are we supposed to do that with every picture we see from now on for the rest of our lives? So bring that back around to Donald Trump, right? I don't even think of it as the first thing that happened. Like, of course, the first thing that somebody made with this tool was a photo of Trump getting arrested. Sure. Like, and it, but it didn't hit. Like, it wasn't resonant in a really unique way. Yeah. And the, the swag pope was. <laughs> Why do you think that is? James makes a couple of arguments that I think are really compelling his piece is really good everybody should read it but the the first thing i think is there is this like hyper realism i think is the phrase he he used that others have used before around celebrities we're just like used to seeing these people in these odd places with odd lighting doing weird stuff the pope in particular is the kind of person who is like massively photographed he is unusually i think for a pope 
around like swag all the time. <laughs> like <laughs> there's just a picture of the man like signing a Lamborghini. And so it's like it's just in this realm of possibility enough. And then you add on top of that this kind of weird veneer that is all celebrity stuff now. And then attach again, like you said, sort of the low stakes of it, right? Like Trump getting arrested is like objectively it's a big deal if it happens. And so it's going to cause most discerning people to at least take a half a beat and be like, is this anything? But like, why would they lie to you about like this sick jacket the Pope is wearing? Right? Like, (laughs) We're just not conditioned to ask that question. And so I think you you put all these things together. And also something like Mid Journey is going to do really well with a photo of the Pope or Donald Trump, as opposed to like a picture of your neighbor, because it has the training data to do this. So it's just it is able to do these things in such a more convincing way because of kind of both what we're primed to see and what it actually has in its system to work with. I have a related theory, which is that Trump getting arrested is a sort of thing that is immediately reinforced. Mm. Yeah. Like you'd so, be seeing it other places. Like if that photo existed, the person who runs push alerts, the New York Times would be losing their mind. <laughs> Right. They're like, just beep the phone again. Just hit him again. Just tell him again. Live updates. There's a there's a story stream thing on the top. Hit him again. Trump sneezed in handcuffs. Hit him again. Right. Like the post would be doing it and we would have it like for some reason that we a tech site would be like, we need to have like the information environment would instantly reinforce that image as being real. And I think we're trained for that to happen. Right. Like we know if something of that scale happens, it will happen a lot like at massive scale. And so you see that picture and you're like, eh, like there's not a, there's none of the other signaling. Right. And so then you're like, wait, is this real? The Pope, the Pope wearing a puffer jacket with a built-in cover button. <laughs> Alex, I just looked at that picture again. I hadn't noticed that cover button. It's like it's, real good. It's so good. <laughs> it's real good. The Pope wearing a, like what is objectively a sick jacket. <laughs> <laughs> it is. There's like, actually the New York times might send a push alert about it. Like at this <laughs> point they just can't help themselves, <laughs> but it, it doesn't, it just doesn't come with the signaling. I think you're right. That's, that's exactly what it is. Like we're, see, we're, we're used to kind of looking for that misinformation. We've been primed by like the shark is in the, is in the highway flood, the flooded highway. <laughs> Like we see that video every single time and somebody has to be like, it's fake. So you're used to kind of being like, this is the coolest thing ever. Why is no one talking about it? Oh, because it's fake. Whereas Trump, you're going to go and you're going to immediately look for it because if he's being arrested, you're going to want to like message your parents and be like, ha, got him or whatever. Maybe you're going to arrest him and like be happy about it. It was all really bad. Here's my question. Mm -hmm. I posted a a video of the swag pope. It's just a TikTok of different. I mean, it's it's yeah. so I can't it's good. get enough of it. Is the disinformation problem way lower stakes? Right. It's not. Everyone's worried about the election that's coming up. No, I think it's. Get- I think it's still high stakes because right now we're 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 seeing we see the same thing with deep fakes. We saw it with Photoshop. Every time we get these new tools that allow us to kind of recreate reality, the initial things are like fun. It's like deep fake Keanu Reeves on TikTok just eating a sandwich. Like that's funny. Yeah. But then somebody's like, okay, well now I'm gonna use a really cool deep fake to make it look like Biden said something really, really horrible to to get my base really upset because my base isn't as online as the rest of us are. So they're not as primed to look for that disinformation and react to it appropriately. So it's a lot easier to manipulate those like other groups who aren't as primed as the majority of us looking at the Pope. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's also the question of where the line is 
kind of for us as consumers is really fascinating to me. Because I think about the, like, do you remember that story from a couple of years ago when there were lions on the street in Russia during the pandemic? That one had a full, everybody believed it cycle before it became something that was like roundly debunked because it wasn't true. And so that's still kind of under the, like, we immediately learn to question it. Whereas the former president of the United States is about to get arrested, obviously above the line of... I immediately need to scrutinize whether this is real or not, right? Yeah. But yeah. the the best disinformation we've seen has always been the stuff that exists just barely underneath that line, right? And I think especially as we get to the election, I don't know where the line is, but this question of like, what is higher stakes than, yo, look at the jacket this Pope has on, <laughs> but lower stakes than the former president of the United States got arrested. And all of these very smart actors from around the world are going to find ways to live just right a smidge underneath that line. And I think- it just gets easier and easier to do with some of these tools now. Let me rephrase that question. I think both of you are right in that way. I meant like, is it lower stakes? If you did this to a school board member, right? If you swagged if out you, a school board member? Right. Saying, yeah. yeah. If I was like, all right, let's, we're going to swag David out. <laughs> right. And like put him and like put you out there. Like we're, you're not going to get the signal. It's a thing you're talking about. It's like just below the line of instant scrutiny. Right. Is is it that where the problem is headed? Because that's what it feels like to me. Like this. Yeah, again, I think Trippy Pope think it is. is hilarious. But like I'm thinking about like high school students. Yes. And maybe it's just there's not enough training data to make weird celebrity photos of your principal. But you I, you can just see where it's going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There was um, I was trying to look up some old celebrity and like an old photo of a celebrity I had in my head that I remember being real. And I was like, I wish I could remember who it was now. It's like Judy Garland or something. I was like, I'm going to go find this photo. I've seen, I've, I can see it in my head. I know it's real. And I went searching for it and it was actually a Photoshop and I couldn't find an original photo. And I was like, oh, this like idea I've had in my head all of this time was just some dumb misinformation. And I just felt bummed for a little while. And I think that's probably going to be the most common kind of thing. Like maybe it's old celebrities or new celebrities, just a little twist. Just so you're like, you love that photo of them so much. They're the swagged out Pope. And, but it will also be like, okay, well, I can go and make my best friend who I'm no longer friends with because I'm 16 and and everything's ended. The world is ending. Look really ugly in this dress, even though she never owned that dress. And then everybody's going to make fun of her. That's very specific, Alex. <laughs> Look, I was a teenage girl. We know how to bully better than anyone else on the planet. But I think like we're going to see a lot more of that as those yeah. tools become easier to use for regular people. So in the middle of this. Right, right. The mid journey is not photorealistic. It is remarkable. You should go look at the images. You should go play with it. They are starting to close it down. I think they're realizing like they need to put some rules around it. So that's yeah. happening. There's a big push for that. Then there's the voices, which are pretty accurate. Again, my favorite TikToks of all are presidents talking about mixing music and yes. arguing about it. It's just like the funniest shit in the entire it's world. Beautiful. And I'm going to end up posting one every week for the rest of my life because they're so funny. But the voices are good. There's one. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just post it. Uh, but the voices are good. What they can't do yet is make a move, right? So if you right. got really great voices and you can generate an image of the president, you are pretty close to a video of a president saying something bad. And we're just starting to see, okay, we're making videos out of this, right? Like that part of the deep fake cycle where you just type in President Biden saying he hates everyone generates an accurate looking video of President Biden saying he, he hates everyone without the sort of like current deep fake remodeling that you have to do. We're not there yet. And we've seen some examples now of AI generated video 
which I think James referred to as being in its demonic phase. He's accurate. Yeah, it's 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 either wonderful or horrifying and i genuinely can't like i'm i every time i watch it i like watch it again and also don't want to ever see it again as long as i live but there's like yeah you can you can type what is it will smith eating pasta and it will show you a video of will smith eating pasta but it's it's horrifying right like it's yeah it just makes me think of salad fingers every time for reasons i can't explain (laughs) but that's a reference most of our listeners won't get anyway so it's fine um but it's really funny because this is the kind of thing you look at and it's like, oh, this is just silly, right? Like this is, these are like goofy videos of Joe Rogan fighting a bear that is like essentially a cartoon. Yes. Uh, and then he turns into a bear. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like no. it's not, it's not like, like, it's not, like they're crazy. Like Will Smith eating, go watch the video of Will Smith eating pasta. It's yeah, we'll site. post it in the show notes. Like the, they're all great, but you look at them and it's like, okay, this is, this is ultimately harmless. Like nobody's going to look at this and be like, oh, Joe Rogan actually fought and then became a bear. But also, like last summer, we were talking about Dolly and Mid Journey in this same way, where everything was yep. very abstract. And it was like, oh, you can see how it thinks this looks like a person, but it doesn't really. And no one would be confused by it. And now here we are. Like that took, that took six months essentially to go from no one would ever confuse this for a person to like, you have to work pretty hard to not confuse this for a person. Uh, yeah. And I think a video is going to come the same way. And that's where I think. Like, I don't know, we either enter this place of total nihilism where it's like nothing matters, don't believe anything. The only real thing is like the stuff right in front of your face and maybe not even that. Or we're going to have to figure out some really complicated systems for how we deal with all of this stuff. Well, I think it's it's education, right? Like video obviously is more complex than photos, but we've been dealing with this issue as long as kind of photos have been existing. People have been faking photos and we've even seen it with video, too. People were making fake videos all the time. And the only thing that's changed is that the tools are way, way more accessible now. So there's going to be a lot more content rather than just a few really good people doing it. And I think the way you counter that is to just educate people, make people the rest. Most of us listening, most of us here talking right now can pretty much pick pick this stuff out. Like we take a moment, we look at it, we know how to do it because we've educated ourselves. We've learned. I'm sorry. The premise of this conversation is that all of us got taken by a dripped out pope. (laughs) Yeah, because but then you stop <laughs> and you pay, take a moment and like once you apply rigor, like yeah. we did with with the fake Trump photos, we immediately were like, no, those are fake. And so I think like once people start applying that rigor more frequently with this stuff, we're going to like it won't be quite as bad. And I yeah. think that's certainly one of the better ways to deal with it than like ban the tools altogether or some of the yeah. other weird Plans. But I think that's that's asking a lot of people, right? And we've yes. we've been through this a few times where like we went through this with misinformation on the internet in general, right? And we have a bunch of tools that are making it easier to be smarter and yet everybody gets taken by most stuff because most of us are primed to think most people are not like deliberately lying to us, right? And so yeah. the getting past that thing has been very hard. And then you talk about like the chat GPT stuff that people believe, even though it is these things are known mm-hmm. to lie. They say it That's confidently fair. and like they know what they're talking about. And I was talking to somebody the other day who was saying, uh, he was like, I've done more Googling than ever since chat GPT because I have to Google every fact that, that this thing gives me. And like, maybe that's sneakily what Google's doing. They're like, if we make a shitty chatbot, searches will go way up. Uh, but that's it's a lot of work. And I think the idea that I'm going to like scroll through my TikTok feed or my Instagram feed or whatever and sort of inquire as to the veracity of every single thing in it is just too much to ask of people. And so you get people like Adobe is saying they're going to come out with these tools for identifying this stuff. And 
one of OpenAI's businesses is going to be showing you what was made by OpenAI, which is like bonkers and backwards and insane. That's good. But it does feel like that stuff is going to come eventually, but slowly. And we're, we're due for a really weird phase of being tricked by drippy popes Wait, uh, between now and then. I figured it out. Snopes can go public and we all invest in Snopes and they just spend forever debunking every single fake. Just call it Snopes GPT. Yeah. And you just send Done. it everything and it says, is this real? Yeah. This is a great Maybe. idea. I'm into this plan. Yeah. So the Adobe thing is really interesting, right? They call it the Content Authenticity Initiative. We've covered it. I talked to Scott Belsky from Adobe about it before. Their whole thing is, okay, we can verify an image from creation to ingest to distribution. So you take a photo, your camera like supports this thing. You put it through Photoshop. It'll get tagged. And we'll basically, it's basically like a very complicated metadata system. And various social networks will support it so that when Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever displays an image, it will tell you it's real because it's been verified as authentic all the way through the capture chain. I, I want to believe this will work. I do. It's like it's a very verge solution to the problem. Like it's a nice idea. What if we did good metadata? Yeah. <laughs> but like those are the kinds of solutions that the industry can come up with. And they've been Adobe's been plugging away at that for a minute now. Then there's the sort of policy solutions. A group called the Future of Life Institute published an open letter calling on AI labs around the world to pause development. Elon Musk signed it. Alex, I think you were saying Steve Wozniak signed it. Yeah. Andrew Yang showed up and signed it. Um, you know, Elon signing it, it, there's a lot of history with Elon and OpenAI that's coming out now. It's, it's, it maybe seems like he just wants them to stop. Um, but we're at that phase, right? Yeah. Where there's an open letter there. There's another group has called on the FTC, the Center for AI and Digital Policy, filed a complaint with the FTC saying OpenAI should stop launching new models of GPT because of unfair and deceptive trade practices, which is seems like a stretch. Yeah, their their big theory was like, because these things can put out false information that falls under the auspices of the FTC to regulate, it's it's drawing a pretty tenuous line. Yeah. Like you're saying, there is a lot of momentum for this idea that we just have to stop it because it is getting out of control and we don't know what to do with it. Make it stop. Yeah. Uh, the UK rejected the idea of a dedicated AI regulator. So, and then there's some sort of antitrust fight. Here's a question, a very virtuous question. Do robots have free speech? Because we do, I think. I think for the people a while, who program the robots have. Free until speech. President DeSantis rides herd over these United <laughs> States. <laughs> but like we do, right? It's like legal to lie in most cases. Right? It's not legal to like do a fraud and like get money for lying. But like in general, if I wanted to tell you that Aaron Rodgers is going to have six great seasons with the New York Jets, like that's a thing I can say and no one can arrest me for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just lying to you. Aaron Rodgers is outside of your door right now. Yeah, yeah, he's showing up, right? <laughs> he's the he's the law. But like, it's legal to lie to people. Is it legal for robots to lie to people? That, like, I don't know the answer to that question in any way, shape, or form. Well, no, I'm so, not sure that the government is presently constituted as the ability to answer that question in a rational, coherent, or stable way. So the Writers Guild of America is currently renegotiating their contract with the producers in Hollywood so that they can get a better deal primarily on streaming rights. That's like a whole big deal. We'll do a plenty of Verge cast about it. Don't worry about it. But they're also talking about AI tools because there's a potential for somebody to just be like, I don't need writers. I'm just going to have the AI write the whole thing. And they said, no, the same way that you don't just like use a Wikipedia entry 
for a story. We still are the ones writing it. AIs are just tools. And you're allowed to use those tools to maybe enhance, maybe make suggestions, but they cannot be credited. They cannot be like treated the same as a writer because they're not, because they're tools. And they also called it kind of inherently plagiarism because of the data it's trained on, which I thought was really interesting, maybe wrong, but certainly like very, very interesting. And I think that approach of like, these are tools, they are inherently cannot lie. They cannot be credited because they're tools. You don't credit Photoshop when you go and you do a really cool edit. Like we don't credit Photoshop whenever we do illustrations on the website. You wouldn't credit Minefield in the same way. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So I should disclose the Writers Guild of America is the union that the Vox Media Union is part of. So our newsroom yes. is represented by the Writers Guild of America. We're management, so we're not. Yeah. We're, we're just the boot. Um, also, Comcast is an investor in Vox Media. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and they, we made are, a Netflix and they own show. NBC. Uh, which, yeah, we talked about Hollywood. Here it is. Here's the block. Comcast is a master in Fox Media. It's NBC Universal Division. Uh, I'm the executive producer of a Netflix show, which rules you should go watch it on Netflix. That's part of Hollywood. And uh, our company has six unions, and Riders Guild of America is one of them. Alex, he lives in LA. Do we have to disclose that? Does that is that anything? <laughs> I have seen the Hollywood sign. <laughs> it's not, it's remarkable. It's remarkably unremarkable, I would say. I did not get stars in my eyes. <laughs> it didn't happen. Just got the bug. So that's fascinating, right? Like this idea of attribution to yeah. the robot. It, it, like, can a monkey take a selfie? Is like a real thing. Like, we're going to do it again, but with robots at scale. And then there's this contingent of people who are like, actually, we need to stop it. Yes. Right. We, we are not ready for this thing to happen. And then I think that conversation entirely flattens out the fact that these systems are all different. Right. And you can get an open AI in a Microsoft and a Google to agree to some safety standards. But there's a lot of like slightly worse ones or weird open source projects that do not have to agree to anything and they can still be used to do bad things and they will, they'll be run by criminals. So like won't do what the laws of various countries tell them to do. And that I, this is just a big swirl of a mess right now. Yeah. And it, at the heart of it, again, is just like a speech question. Like, what are you allowed to do with a computer? Yep. Are you allowed to instruct the computer to lie to people? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> it seems do like it the on Twitter yes. all the time. Uh, but I think there's going to be some amount of, all right, the companies, the big companies, the ones that truly democratize the tools are going to be either at a company market level. They're going to put some restrictions in, right? Like I think MidJourney and the rest of the image generators would do well to say, we're going to start ruining faces again. Mm. Right, because that, that was a conscious yeah. decision that they had made before that they wouldn't do faces and they undid it. And like you can see how as just an industry, they could say, you know what, we're going to start being bad at faces again because this is getting a little weird until there's like a regulatory system that we understand. But then you can also see how the government might be like, you know what, we want you to shut it down or like register all your users or worse, like DRM all the pictures so we know where they all came from. And like there's just a range of options on the table, I think is. I mean, this is what The Verge was made for. Yeah. Like one yeah. publication can talk about all these things that were <laughs> happening at once. But I, I do uh, think um, you're right that to a pretty real extent, like the the whatever, the horse is out of the barn, the toothpaste is out of the tube, whatever you want to pick on that one, that like the this antitrust argument that is starting to happen is like people like Lena Khan and Jonathan Cantor are basically saying these things are really expensive to build. They're really expensive to train. And inherently what that does is give too much of the power and control and sort of the ability to make this stuff to these big companies, right? And it's why you look at OpenAI, which got 
$10 billion from Microsoft. And it's why Microsoft is doing it. And it's why Google is doing it. There's just not that many out there. But that's changing really, 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 really fast. And some of this stuff is starting to get open sourced and the training data is more available. And we're hitting this point where building one of these things from scratch is hard, but you kind of don't have to anymore. Yep. Like there's just so much infrastructure out there now that if you, like you're saying, if I wanted to just go build a large language model chatbot and have it be horrible, it's a hell of a lot easier than it was 12 months ago. And it's going to be a hell of a lot easier in 12 months than it is right now. Like, I don't see how we can rewind that from here. See, I don't know if that's actually true because of Getty. Getty is a good example of this. They're the professional image library. We use them. Almost every single publication pays Getty so that we can use their photos. They are currently suing some of these AIs because they've trained their data on Getty yeah. images and didn't pay licenses for it. And what can very easily happen there is Getty can say, you have to license our entire data, like all of our images to train your data set. And we're going to charge you thousands and thousands and probably millions of dollars to do so. Or actually, we're just going to build our own generator using our data set. And now we have like our photo monopoly has gotten even larger. And I think that's going to be, we're seeing that with others too. Like people are starting to say, hey, you can't use my artwork to train your data because of plagiarism. We saw that with the WGA accusing like just inherently using what's publicly available as plagiarism. So I think that fight's still out there and is going to continue to happen primarily in the courts. And that's going to be a pretty significant component of this, I think. Yeah. I mean, if there's a more verge story than AI copyright, I, I don't know what it is. I'm yeah. lit up. You just got very, like the big grin on your face. You got another hour? <laughs> Let's do it. Again, the, the Copyright Act was like barely functional on the internet. Right. Like it yeah. barely describes what people do in the internet. It is the thing that governs most of our lives in the internet. It's like the default law. It's the only law that counts. It's like a cliche in our newsroom. Can I ask a question out of a really tortured metaphor that might not work and we can cut it out of what the show? What show do you think this is? Of course you should. <laughs> is this or is this like the Napster moment of this where it's like everything is free, everything is chaos. Take all this stuff that belongs to somebody else, shove it into a pile, you can have it any way you want. And like what you're talking about with Getty, it just made me think of like the RIAA coming after people saying you owe $60 billion for the songs that you downloaded. And they successfully like sued enough people to make them afraid and enough companies to run them out of business that it sort of reverted back. And then it's like, okay, now we need a different kind of model for that. Like, are we in that first phase now or is this just totally different? And I'm making that. I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, Neela, you, you, you feel you have stronger feelings about copyright than I do and know more about it. It's all I care about. All <laughs> yes, of my emotions like, are, are pointed to copyright you care about. <laughs> What do you think? I think that, that there's a parallel there. I don't know if it's a direct comparison. Like the music industry, for all of its idiocy, had a point, right? Like sure. you were making copies of the songs and then giving those copies to other people. All right. Like at some point they should have something was amiss there, right? Like no one was capturing the value. The artists were working for free. I think many, many years later, my my position on should artists work for free has changed from the time when I was like using Napster <laughs> in the dorm room. And that was different, right? The the economic condition of the music industry made them unsympathetic at that point in time. Right. I was like, Metallica's already rich. Like, I'm just taking entertainment from them. Like, screw you, Lars. Right. Now I think in 2023, there's a lot more sympathy towards people who make things mm -hmm. and whether they should be compensated for those things and what's free and how you give credit and like the younger generations on the internet 
are just much more attuned to like, oh, there's value extraction that happens on the internet every single day. And we should, artists should be rich. Like we're mad at Spotify in general, even though we won't stop using it because the artists are always grumbling about how they don't get paid enough. And just that sort of economic literacy of the internet is vastly different than the Napster moment. That's and so I think that's one piece of it. The second piece of it, much more technical, and I think will result in a number of disastrously hilarious rulings from courts, because at the end of the day, like, yes, it's training data, but the thing they make is not a copy. Right. It's a much yeah. less direct line from you burned a CD and gave it to people on the internet. Like, that's a very yeah. straight line. How you get from I wrote a screenplay to it generated a different screenplay, maybe potentially with some well, knowledge so what, of my screenplay is different. There is a copy that's being made in there. Like I, one of the things that I think we forget about all the time is like it's still rooted in, a, in atoms, right? It's rooted in the idea of like making copies. It's, that's what it's called. And so there was a line of cases that literally had to say every copy that a computer made, it was legal. Like literally copying a program from a disk onto the RAM of a computer was a lawsuit, right? Because that's making a copy. Right. And so we've kind of just like abstracted away what computers do, which is just constantly make billions of copies all the time for all kinds of reasons. And now we're going to come back, I think, to, okay, to use our images as your training data, you have to copy them all onto your disks. Just step one. Like, was that copy authorized? Did, is, that a, is that allowed? Is that legal? And like, we just haven't had to ask that question in the context of computers for about 20 years. And like, we're just, that's going to be Getty's first argument is like, here's what OpenAI did. They went to Best Buy. They bought all the Western digital hard drives that existed <laughs> and copied the, the Getty database onto them. Right. And it's like, wait, hold on. We're doing that because that's their opening salvo best theory of the case. Like just making that database. Is it copyright infringement? And like, we're just going to, I think we're going to go back there in a weird way and maybe never get all the way to, and then we created derivative works of those images by letting a computer predict the next pixel in the sequence. I could talk about this all day. Can we keep talking? <laughs> <laughs> we should probably move on. Addie and Sarah Jong and I are like lit up with the copyright story because it is so complicated and so weird. And like so many old internet laws are coming back around, right? Foundational copyright cases of the internet are kind of like up for grabs in really weird ways. And I think that's going to be, again, because the economic understanding of how the internet works is so different now, they could go another way. Mm. Like the, the copyright cases that allowed Google to exist and make image search happened in a wildly different economic climate. Yeah, the last time we were doing this, everybody was shouting about how, you know, the internet wants to be free and information wants to be free. And uh, we don't look at it quite like that anymore, generally speaking. Yeah, not not yeah. even a little bit, no. right? And like, Google got rich. At the end of the day, Google captured all the value yep. and photographers and musicians and whoever didn't. And like, this is another one of those moments. And I, I just think that economic understanding of the trade-off of information wants to be free is a lot, is a lot clearer for people. Yeah. Last, we should just note this. There was a really well-reported piece in the information this week claiming that Bard was birthed in conflict at Google, including a researcher leaving the team because he claimed that Bard was trained using chat GPT data through a tool called shared GPT. Uh, Google has denied it. They gave a statement to us. We have it on the site. Bard is not trained on any data from shared GPT or chat GPT. It's a very clear denial, but I think it is just worth pointing out even throughout this conversation, we've mostly talked about startups, right? There's Microsoft on the side, but OpenAI is a new company. Midjourney is a new company. 
the big companies are still finding their footing, right? Or they've just bought into it in the case of Microsoft. Right. Yeah. Uh, poor Bard. <laughs> okay, here's, let's start. I'm going to wrap this up with two instructions. <laughs> One, if you work at Google and you're on the Bard team, let that shit be horny. It'll work. <laughs> just horn it up. Just let Bard flirt, man. It, it's got swag. W Riz from Bard is like that's put that on the on the board. And then two, if you operate a radio telescope of any kind or anything that can send signals in the deep space, I'm going to give you this audio clip. Just broadcast it as much as you can. Swag Pope is a portent of doom. You have 25 years left if you see a drippy Pope. Citizens of the galaxy, Swag Pope is a signal of doom. And message. And if you could just send that to space, I think <laughs> I think we will be doing a service to all of the. It's so weird. A time traveler just showed up and said, "I heard <laughs> he's right here." Swag Pope is doomed. <laughs> all right, we got to take a break. <laughs> Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we're back. Let's talk about some gadgets or promised gadgets. <laughs> Soon to be gadgets. Gadgets that might also be a portent of doom, <laughs> but not for us, for Apple. Just Apple. Uh-huh. So WWC was announced this week, June 5th. We will probably send an army of people. We could do the preview. Like WWC is kind of like a known quantity in the base level, right? Yeah. They announced the new versions of iOS, Mac OS, tvOS, HomeOS, all the OSs, watchOS. Uh, and then maybe we usually see a preview of some new hardware. This year, that piece of the puzzle is loaded with meaning, right? Because yes. people think it's going to be the big mixed reality headset. And there's like a lot of reporting about it in a way that is unusual in tone and unusual in volume, I would say. Okay, I'm really glad you said that because I was actually trying to remember in prepping for this if there has ever been a sort of run up to an Apple product quite like this one. Because like when the Apple Watch launched, there was a lot of smoke that there was going to be a watch. That was kind of all we knew about it, right? But it feels like as Apple gets ready to come out with its mixed reality headset, which we think is likely to come at WWDC, that we should get into 
why suddenly there's questions about that. We know a shocking amount about what the thing is going to cost, what it's going to do, what it looks like, how it works, how people at Apple feel about it. Because this, have, can you remember another time when it feels like a product Apple is working on this much feels like it has been sort of out there in the world this much ahead of time? The iPad. Was it? Yeah. Did the iPad have that same like sense of just the grimace emoji that seems to be surrounding the mixed reality headset? Well, it did right after because everybody thought the name iPad was stupid, but I actually don't remember if it was there before. No, it definitely had more hopes and dreams. But if you just remember, they had to like go to the media. Like Steve Jobs announced the iPad and he was like, it's good. This is the future of newspapers and magazines. So like, and then remember like Rupert Murdoch made the daily. Oh yeah. RIP the daily, which was actually great. And the staff of the daily has gone on to do amazing things around the industry. Yeah. Cause he assembled like an amazing team to make that. What was it? It was like an iPad app that updated with news every day. And then it failed because you could it was turn not- pages. It was the most like anachronistic thing. I think Apple has ever done. It was amazing. They made a print uh, magazine that you could only read on the iPad. Like, it was what? truly strange. Right. <laughs> but like, because they had made all those deals, like a lot of people, had awareness of the iPad yeah. And, yeah, and like pre-baked good thoughts about the iPad. Like they were rooted in actual experiences. So like, I would just like rewind you to there. Like, yes, the iPad was that thing where the hype around it was so high and enough people had like sort of used it that there was like a, a level of doubts, right? If you remember, it's just a big iPhone was like the, totally. that was correct. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out. Years later, it's a it's a big iPhone with some features of the Mac and it should just be a Mac remains the the gestalt of the iPad. Yep. But this one is different. It's more than that. Right. And I think it's because the iPad was obvious, like in the best possible way. You should make a really big iPhone. People love iPhones. People will love this thing. And there's all kinds of stuff you could do. You can just imagine where it will go. You can imagine how to make it right. Like make the screen bigger and like (laughs) whatever. Right. You made a thing that's all screen, do more screen. Apple now with the mixed reality headset is operating in the context of, well, we have them. They exist as products. Most of, there's the MetaQuest Pro sitting right behind me on that shelf there. Uh, it has not been charged in weeks, months, <laughs> you know, like whatever. You're, um, you're out on the supernatural? You're not boxing I'm, anymore? No, I use the Quest 2 for that. Oh, It's uh, lighter and simpler and that's fair. Right. And it doesn't have 90 cameras. It's not trying to do a thing that no one wants to do. Yeah. Right. It's just it's a game console. I have a P. Uh, I have a review unit of the PSVR two in the other room, and I spent all my chase points on a Logitech racing wheel. <laughs> and I got to tell you, Gran Turismo in the PSVR two is the single best experience you can have. It makes me sick after twenty minutes, but boy, do I want to not be sick again so I can go spend another twenty yes. minutes in it. It's so fun, right? And like as game consoles, like that's really cool. I I cannot recommend that experience enough. Sean Hollister wrote about it, and I immediately. Like, figured out how to have this experience of like VR racing game because it's so cool. That's not a market that's big enough for Apple. They've got to do a thing here. So Alex Heath, when he was at the information, broke the price like $3,000. That was his scoop. It's held up so far. Yep. And then there's the stack of problems that we just know really well because of the Meta Quest 2 and just the reality of what these problems are. Like you've got to build a headset that doesn't look ridiculous. Very few people have accomplished this. Maybe no one has. I would argue zero people have accomplished this. Uh, Yeah, yeah, they're just familiar now. They're not not ridiculous. Right. (laughs) It's like clowns. Like you know what a clown looks like. You're not like oh my god. Like no, that's ridiculous. But like a familiar (laughs) way. Just there. Yeah. You've got to. It's got to have a processor in it. It's got to have a display system that doesn't suck all the power. It's got to have a bunch of cameras. You got to process the cameras in real time and augment the information. Like 
we've done this stack on the verge test a hundred times. The problems here at every level are novel computing problems. Yes. And then you, you're constrained in power and battery life and all this stuff. And so Apple's solutions, as far as we understand, are like external battery pack. Oof. They don't want you to wear it all day. Really high price to make it clear this is not a mass consumer product. And then the reporting that we that's come out over the past few weeks are like, they're searching for a killer app. Mark Gurman said this will have the same curve as the watch. Like, that's their hope. And if you will recall, the watch launched. It was really messy. The battery life was constrained. And then they figured out it was a fitness tracker with notifications. And now people love it. And also, they use their ecosystem lock-in ruthlessly to make sure it has no competition for iOS owners, yeah. whatever. Um, but here, it's like at every layer, there's a novel technology problem. And there's no killer app because they're not going to do Gran Turismo VR on a $3,000 headset. They're just not going to do it. And also, they suck at games. Like, yes, they have Apple Arcade, but you're, you're, you're just not going to buy a $3,000 headset to play Monument Valley. You know, it's like, no. it's just not going to happen. Well, apparently the thing that they're talking the most about is, uh, I think Tim Cook keeps calling it co-presence has been the, the thing that's been reported is basically really great video chat and this feeling like, you know, I can see through your eyes because you're wearing the headset and it's looking out. And that's. That shit's going to make people vomit all over everything all the time. Can you imagine? Yes, 100%. And even to the extent that like that is cool as far as it goes, like I think we've all arrived at a point where we've decided that Google Meet and Zoom are pretty good for what they do. And the bar for like, let me get dedicated hardware to have a meeting every single time <laughs> is, is so much higher than anybody realizes. And like, this is what Meta has been trying to do for a while. They're like, what if instead of having a Zoom meeting, you had a meeting in Horizons and you yeah. all sat around a table and didn't have legs and made weird faces at each other. It's like, actually, no one wants that. Uh, well, I would say Horizons is so hard to use that I don't even know if I don't want that. <laughs> right. I know That's for fair. a fact I do not want to use their software. Yes. Like without fair. question, the idea I have the remote desktop server on my Mac and they're constantly updating it. And like every day, it's like a new version of the MetaQuest remote desktop. It's like, why? Like, shouldn't you spend all your engineering effort on like joining a meeting and not having it crash? Well, so that's kind of the thing, right? And this is what you're talking about, about having to solve all these problems simultaneously. Like, have you ever seen the movie The Kingsman? Yeah. Yes. So do you know the thing in the Kingsman where to have a meeting, you sit down and you basically put on a pair of like Wayfarer sunglasses and immediately around you, you sort of sit at your chair at the table and everybody else is sitting at the same table in other places in the world and their, their holograms show up with you. So it appears roughly as if you're all sitting at the table. Super into that. That sounds great. Short of that, I suspect almost every experience that isn't that sucks okay and will be more work than it's worth to just talk to your coworkers or friends what if the mixed reality headset let you have feet <laughs> that's the big winner that's the winner right? five thousand dollars i'm in well, Zuckerberg has already promised feet are the, are the, the brightest <laughs> minds of technology to be fair he said legs feet. we have not talked about feet yet feet is like, like that's a apple's whole separate gonna go, apple's gonna skip legs and go straight to feet and you're gonna be like <laughs> you have Whoa! no legs but feet yeah <laughs> You're just feet and hands, nothing else. <laughs> just like this emoji. It's not, you know, like the, the emoji that's just the, the face with the hands. Yeah, exactly. You're now feet. So the Kingsman thing is like, that's what everybody wants. Yes. Right? That's a useful analogy for this. That movie is yeah. also really funny. You should go it's a great it. movie. Um, everybody should watch it. Yeah. Uh, but every time I see that scene, I'm like, okay, how do you know what chair everyone's in? How do they know it? Like, they're not, are they all in the same room, but the room is empty? 
No, they all yes, they all have the same room. I think I could be wrong about this. I haven't seen. But do they all sit? Like, what if you screw up and everyone sits at the head of the table? Well, like (laughs) just the amount. There's a lot of lap sitting happening. (laughs) The future is sitting on each other's laps by accident. That's what it is. And then you need a picture of them, of their faces, right? And if you're wearing this Apple headset, you've got to recreate that face. So like you're just creating this like stack of problems that is vastly more expensive and vastly more complicated and vastly less reliable than getting on a plane. Yes. And I think my my running theory is if you solve 60% of that problem, you've made everything worse. And that, <laughs> that actually the only way to do it is to fully all the way completely do it. And I I think like one of the things that it seems possible that Apple is going to do is basically render big screens as you use these things that I think rather than try to do some of the AR stuff, it'll just kind of look like you have a big floating screen in front of your face. And that is substantially less exciting, but mitigates some of the like crappy uncanny valley of all of this, I think. But yeah, I just I I have such a hard time imagining that Apple has solved every single one of these problems in its fullest way in order to be able to do this. And I think it's a real bummer for Apple. Uh, like if I work at Apple, I'm really, really upset that all of this is coming out because even to the extent that it's going to dull the hype. So this is the reporting. We should bring this all the way back around. This is the reporting, right? This is what you and I are both noticing. One of the stories is the design team didn't want to ship it and Tim Cook overruled them. Now, obviously, I think every story like this is people will tell you it's too simple. That's not how it actually, like it's a big company, lots of process, but like that's a story that somebody wanted told, right? There's a group of people who thought this isn't ready yet. Yep. We shouldn't do it. There's other stories about people being worried about the price. There's other stories about people saying there's not a killer app and like co-presence like this isn't going to do it. I don't want to knock this, right? Like it's, if you can get to AR glasses, which is where Apple wants to go, which is where Meta wants to go. I, that is the dream. Like it, I was I just hope at the, this is awesome. I really, really, really do. Right, I know what the awesome. killer app for AR glasses is. It's faces and names. Like I was just at the ASME awards where the Verge <laughs> won an award for best print design. It was great. And I was sitting next to Anna Wintour when we won the award for best print design. And I screamed, it's a website. And that will go down. I mean, it's (laughs) truly one of the most hilarious achievements of our careers. And I mean that in both senses. It's an achievement, right? The Homeland series is very complicated. There's a lot of incredible reporting on it. We made a zine. That was really difficult. It's beautiful. Christian Radke, our art director, like did a beautiful job with it. But we won best print award. (laughs) Like That's hilarious. And so, like, have it announced where we're sitting next to, like, Condé Nastro. It was, like, hilarious. It was so good. But I was, like, at a thing. And I was, like, looking at all these people. And I was, like, man, if I could just put names to these faces, I'd be, like, king of the universe. I'd be on vote Patel, man. Like, let's do it. <laughs> and, like, I want that. I, insurmountable problems all the way to you need a worldwide database of faces and names, which seems bad. Facebook has it, though. But, boy, would I buy that product in one second. But to your point, David, that's 100%. 60% of that product is a $3,000 headset with an external battery pack that doesn't actually do augmented reality. It does pass-through video mixed reality. And it just says, like, I think that guy's name is Bill. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, because it's nope. Apple and their privacy thing, it's, like, super wrong all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. you can see why there's drama around this product and why, you know, to some extent, they're they're actively lowering expectations for it. This is also, like, probably the most ambitious ambitious Apple's been in a while, right? Like Apple's whole MO, I think they even mention it in the New York Times piece about people being nervous and not really wanting this thing to go out. 
was that Apple usually waits until the market's kind of mature. Like when the Apple Watch came out, Fitbit was already huge. People were wearing these bands all the time. So people were like, oh, yeah, it's a new band, but it's better. The iPhone was the same thing. Smartphones had been around for a while. They just figured out pinch and zoom better. Laptops, everything. And this time they're like, yeah, this market is not mature. It has yep. not proven itself in any way, shape or form. We're going to do it anyway. And that's just super unlike Apple. So I would make the comparison to the watch, right? They did create the smartwatch market, like the pebble existed, but everyone kind of knew that wasn't it, you know? Yeah. Um, they created the modern smartphone market, like Nokia existed. And I'm sure people are going to start sending us angry emails, but like those phones were not mainstream in this country. They were right. in some cases well, mainstream they- in Europe. They took something that was already deeply flawed. Like they, these were these were other places where it was super, super deeply flawed. And Apple said, we're going to make it perfect. And they did. Right. So the, Steve Jobs used beyond? to be able to put up the photos of the competitor products and be like, look at this shit. Right, I fixed it. <laughs> right. With the watch, they were not able to do that. Right. And this is kind of like Tim Cook's legacy is he's pushing them into categories that have not yet been defined. And the watch was a real mess. And the thing with the watch was that it had conviction behind it this is what johnny ive wanted to do we we had trip mickle on the show he wrote the great book about johnny and tim and mm-hmm. the legacy of after steve there this is like johnny i've wanted to do it it's a product that made sense like intuitively you're like do i want a computer on my wrist and everyone thinks about dick tracy and the answer is yes yeah 100 percent. they didn't know what it should do and the battery life was a mess and the screen was all this stuff but they knew that like this category should definitely exist and there's enough value that is like articulable. Like you can say what the value will be if we get everything right along the way. Well, and even to the extent that they were wrong about what the watch was for, which is, I think the, the like legacy of the watch. And as we've talked about is that Apple was right about the hardware and totally wrong about what people were going to use it for. And it took Mm -hmm. a few years for them to realize, Oh, this is just fitness and health, right? Like we can stack other stuff on top of it, but fundamentally what people really want is a better Fitbit. So they just built a better Fitbit. And now here we are, but it, it, they were right. To your point, Eli, that like what people wanted was on their wrist. What they wanted on their wrist, Apple was wrong about, but they were like, we can we can focus on this space and figure it out. What is not at all clear is if people want stuff on their face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for any amount of time. Like not even a little bit clear. Yeah. Back in the watch days, I had this uh, like a formula for thinking about it, mm-hmm. which is like the more it touches your body, the less you the more value it has to provide and the less you should care for it. And you can just like That's a good monkey theory. with the variables. And so my, my best example was glasses, right? Glasses are pretty finicky. You have to care for them. You can't break them. If you break them, like you're really screwed. Like Cannot I wear glasses, drive anywhere. You know? I worry about losing my contact lenses all the time. Like, right. So there's a lot of care in there on your body, but the amount of value they provide to you is immense. So you just like put up with it and you don't think about it too much. And then there's like clothes where depending on your relationship to clothes if you're the swag pope or you're just like (laughs) me you know there's a big spectrum of how much you might care about your clothes we have to care for them a lot but they provide value they make you feel good about yourself stuff and the watch was like it was wrong in a bunch of the variables in the beginning right it didn't wasn't useful enough it was kind of hard to use you had to care for it a lot you charge the battery every day and it was like on your wrist and like they just got it wrong in the beginning like they really increased the value in health and fitness they made it easier to care for right the battery started lasting longer um, and like they, they aligned that equation such that the watch is like a really good product. Like I, I really like my Apple watch ultra. Um, do I worry that everyone can read every notification that I ever read from like a hundred meters away? <laughs> like I do, but like, I still love it. The face computer zone, those equations are just completely out of whack, right? They're like almost all universally hard to use. You have to care for them a lot. You have to put them on your face and they like, don't do anything. 
the best thing that you can do in them is play games. And like, I, again, if you are a Gran Turismo person, go spend all of the money on <laughs> PSVR two and play Gran. Like it is great. It is an incredible experience, but that's it. You know, like none of the other stuff is quite there yet. And I like, I just, I, I should, we should come back to this equation around headset time and like try to lay it out. If you, people yeah. have thoughts on like what that equation is, like what the variables are, but like, it's a really helpful way of understanding. Like the second you strap it to your body, like you start to have to, the amount of value you have to deliver starts going up in a way that is just enormous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the interesting things about all of this is that I think Apple has been so successful that it's going to have a really hard time launching this thing even as it knows and will say as many times as it can, this thing is $3,000. It's new. We're still learning. It's an experiment, whatever. It's like Apple doesn't get to do that anymore, yeah. right? Like when was the last time Apple launched something that they didn't claim was going to like change the course of your life in history? <laughs> the Apple TV. See, Jaws is like, well, this hobby. And they're <laughs> yeah. still kind of like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that's, a, that's a really good example. And I would say if, the, if Apple's mixed reality plans go the way of apple tv uh that's that's a real rough look yeah they are not allowed to say that this is a hobby no even though absolutely i don't don't think it's a hobby i think it's as so much as it is like this is a science experiment that they're shipping to you right they're like some people will buy this it'll be good for some things but tim cook is gonna get up and he's gonna talk about the reality dial which is an (laughs) unbelievable name for a thing it's how you control how much of the world you can see versus how much of a VR thing. And he's going to th- say things about it being a revolutionary input mechanism on par with the mouse and the touchscreen. Like, <laughs> it's, this is just what Apple does. And I have such a hard time imagining any other pitch. And if they make the classic Apple pitch, I think there's a pretty good chance this ends up in a really weird place. Yeah, I don't think that they can. I, th- even the fact that we're hearing this much dissent now in the reporting is like I, they have to know they can't make them. like it does make you wonder if it's strategic if there's like if they're like Ooh. oh you think this is dumb let me give you trip mickle's phone number <laughs> <laughs> i don't know about that that's very unlike them but it, no that's like three that's takes too clever you yeah. know like let's undercut ourselves before but i do think it's reflective of the volume of dissent inside the company yeah. like go back i said this so many times but go back and watch the apple watch introduction they were so high in their own fumes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, Bono was there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember they said, like, Christy Turlington was there to talk about running marathons oh, yeah. in Africa? <laughs> like, it was crazy. And they, they, I'm not saying this product is not successful. Again, I really like mine. I'm just saying, like, their belief in could they just reassemble the pieces of past success it was like a Marvel Phase 3 movie. They're like, remember the Avengers? Here's that movie again. But like with different worse actors. Like, and like, they, they cannot do that again. And because this product is, it can't support the weight of those expectations. The watch could not support the weight of those expectations. But on the flip side, what Apple needs desperately to do is convince people that this is the future. And especially right now, we're in this moment where I think a lot of people are souring on the whole idea of the metaverse and, you know, AR and VR as the next big thing. And we're seeing all these companies like didn't Disney just lay off its whole metaverse division? Got rid of the whole uh, thing. Yeah, like that. That's not nothing. Right. And so now the, the weight of all this has kind of always been and feels even more so on Apple to say this. This is the thing. Right. Like this is where we are headed. Developers come build for this content. People come make content for this. So Apple, Apple kind of has to and can't sandbag itself at the same time. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the same position Meta's in where they've invested too much time and energy into this thing 
to give up. They just have to like close their eyes and keep going and hope it turns out fine. Probably not because that seems like it'd be bad for their bottom line. But but what is the pressure to do this? I think it's because they they put so much time and effort into it already. Like they, I think they, so they have started and stopped a car company forty 50 times. times. Yeah, yeah right? like, like they don't. They're They've actually Apple. done like, twice in the recording of this podcast, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> Project Titan has been shut down and restarted <laughs> twice. Doug Field has gone from Ford to Apple and Tesla five more times. Um, no, I'm just like for real. Like the yeah. like what is the pressure? It's not Meta beating them. Like I think it's this grand desire to have the next iPhone, to have the next hardware device that can drive computing forward the same way the iPhone did, right? Like the iPhone was a sea change. It it, it changed how how we use our devices. There's a whole generation of people who don't know how to search files on their computer because they've only used their smartphone all this time. And I told you this would happen. He, he, like totally vindicated. <laughs> and the kids are so confused. <laughs> so confused. Do not tell them what a file tree is. They will not know. But I like that was that was like the the major impetus behind this, right? Like they wanted to find the next iPhone, and then they've invested in it. And then Silicon Valley, as we've seen, is really prone to groupthink. And I think it kind of I don't want to say infected. But it did. It like infected Silicon Valley. Everybody was like, we have to have the next mixed reality thing. And then it just so happened that Tim Cook and Mark Zuckerberg were two of the people totally convinced by that. And now we're going off on this like weird path into spatial computing when we're not quite ready for it yet. That's the thing. You know what's the move is Tim Cook should come out at WWDC and be like, look, we thought this was the moment. We <laughs> thought it was going to happen. <laughs> it's not. We're not. The world, we're, this isn't ready. It's not done. Because I think if, if you rewind a couple of years ago to when we first started hearing about this, it was very clear to everyone that by now, every other company on earth was going to have made a headset, right? And we were yes. going to be in this giant race. Google was going to be out there. HTC was building stuff. HoloLens was going to be huge. There was this big race. And now it is the opposite. It's like we're back in the phase of like, is this actually anything? And it feels like a- Apple is about to finish a race. It's kind of n- not needing to run at the moment. And yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Like, what is the wouldn't it be better if Apple was like, we've built generative AI tools into iOS? I think at this point it can't yeah. for a lot of reasons, presumably like production and all that stuff. But even just like from a sort of pers- like the world's perspective of Apple thing, like there's too much out there now. Like the perception is already that this thing is coming late and it's been a problem. And uh it kind of like Apple either needs to do what it did with air power, which is be like, never mind, this doesn't work. We'll come back to you later. Or yeah. it has to ship the thing and just like bully everyone into believing in it until there's actually something good here. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily know that it has another move at this point, even though I think it would be badass if Tim Cook came out and he was like, look, we built this headset. It's rad. I don't want to talk about it because it's not done yet. Like, that would be amazing. Just chuck it off stage. <laughs> when I think about things Tim Cook is likely Listen, to do. I'm not saying it's likely. Uh, canceling a product live on stage. Yes. After showing it to you, that's high on the list. It'd be badass, though. It'd be really cool. <laughs> He's like, oh. all right, Jeff, take over. I'm out. <laughs> he just sits down, puts it on, and just kicks back on stage. I'm just going to read the rest of the Apple things and we're going to take a break and do a lightning round. iOS 16.4 is here. It has a bunch of new emoji. Importantly, for the six people who care, Google Fi 
now supports 5G on the iPhone as of 16.4. To you as uh, one of those six people, congratulations. It was great. I mean, now it's, it's basically now I have AT&T and T-Mobile on my phone, but I can turn the T-Mobile on and off whenever I want, I love that which is actually really useful if you're the sort of person who like constantly has phones like floating through your life, right? So very cool. Thank you, finally, for solving this extremely stupid problem. I love it. Uh, also, the new architecture for the Home app back again for round two. We'll see. Uh, you guys are going to have Jen on the Wednesday show to talk about Sidewalk. You should talk about what's going on with Matter, too. We are. That's okay. uh, we we teased that this week because we got a we got a hotline question that was like a bunch of other stuff. And then it was like, what's going on with Matter? And it's like, we can't do this here, Jen. Like, we have to not. <laughs> but we're going to do it next week. So stick around. Yeah, because Amazon launched its Sidewalk low range IoT network. That's like every Alexa is now a little little wireless node. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. But the new architecture and home is out too so the little smartphone little smart home stuff going on in the background there apple buy now pay later is finally launching which took them forever it seems like that moment of unrestrained pandemic spending <laughs> might be over yes uh so whatever uh and then and the also class- the whole buy now pay later industry might be over yeah that um and then apple music classical also Great. came out yeah, wait, Kranz, I just want to know your thoughts on Classical before we take a break, because yeah, I, there was been, a lot of enthusiasm about this app. I've been using it since it came out. I don't consider myself a classical music fan, but then when we were all talking about it, I guess I am one. Who knew? Oh, yeah, you like classical music? Name five composers. <laughs> I can, but I'm not going to do that because I don't <laughs> trust my pronunciation of their names. But that was a trick. Well, I really, really like the app. I wish the regular Apple Music app was actually this just because I like all the different metadata. I like that I can just look things up by composer and not have a bunch of garbage that I don't care about. Like every time I look up Stephen Sondheim in the regular app, it's like, do you want to listen to Stephen Sondheim talk? And I'm like, no, I just want to see a <laughs> list of musicals he wrote. And I can do that with Apple classical music, not with Sondheim, but with lots of other people like Gershwin and, and Rachmaninoff. And I'm so close to naming a few more for you, David, but I'm not going to do it. You'll just have to stay Damn tuned. It. I'm writing about it on the website. It's going to be great. Yeah. I will say it's like a pure strategy credit to Apple, right? Like they don't need Apple Music to make money. <laughs> like It's just like not what it does for them. So they can spit out another app and be like, look, classical music lovers, we made you a thing. Like, don't you love it? And like set, target ever smaller segments of music lovers in a way that like Spotify kind of can't because it can't support all the costs. I cannot. So wait. that's cool. And then Apple is really high on spatial for classical as far as I can tell. Where it actually makes sense. It sounds fine. Because you have like an orchestra, you know, all around you. It's fine. I'd rather just listen on a really nice pair of headphones than like spatial audio. But everything about it, I'm really, really digging. I've had way, way, way too much fun with it this week and like forgot how much I liked classical music. So it's a nice rediscovery. I should mention here, by the way, Chris Welch reviewed the Sonos Aero 100 and the Sonos Aero 300. Aero 100, just a, a stereo speaker. It's great. He likes it. says it's superior to the Sonos One. Aero 300, the only other real standalone spatial speaker, apart from the HomePod and whatever Amazon thing. He said it's great. It's spatial. Loves it for spatial. Not as great on stereo tracks as the Sonos Ooh. 5, uh, which is a real, that's a real trade-off in there. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons that I think Apple's so high on classical for spatial is because they can do the thing where the guy sneaks up behind you with the symbol and goes crash it's gonna be the oboe player slowly <laughs> coming up behind you uh go read those reviews chris did a great job and there's just a lot i'm very excited about the arrow 100 very excited about the arrow 100 i'm i'm thinking I, I might buy a 300 just to like i feel like i need to give spatial a shot 
I've been so down on it for so long, and everyone's like, the new mixes are good. And I'm just like, eh, like maybe adding some new hardware to the mix. Will make when when Mariah Carey does a spatial audio mix of, of Baby, then Neelai will buy an Aero 300. The way Neelai's face changed. If Mariah Carey would sneak up behind me, I'd be so happy. Mariah, I don't know if you're listening. If anyone has a radio telescope, point it at Mariah Carey. I love you. I've loved you my whole life. All right, we got to take a break. If you see the swagged out Pope, let Mariah Carey know I love her. <laughs> Tell her to get away before doom happens. She needs right, to know. We got to take a break. We'll be right back with the lightning round. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. All right, we're back. We got to do a lightning round. There's a lot of news this week. A lot of news. Just a lot of things. Yeah. Franz, why don't you start? All right. My big thing this week is Ike Perlmutter is no longer at Disney. He was the guy who owned Marvel for years and years and years. When Marvel got acquired by Disney, he stayed on. He notoriously was like, people don't want superhero movies with girls in them. We don't need toys with girls on them. That's dumb. That was a perfect impression, by the way. A plus impression. Thank you. I worked really, really hard on it. He had to be slowly forced out because Kevin Feige and him just didn't get along. And like he was trying to make Black Panther and Captain Marvel. And Perlmutter was like, no, we only want white guys. That's that's the only thing people will buy at a superhero movie. He was quickly proven wrong with both of those. So it was kind of shocking that he was still at Disney and Marvel, and now he no longer is. Goodbye, Ike. Yeah. He also tried to do a coup with an He did try to do a coup. Pelts. It didn't go over well for him. So, like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's time. He, he can go off and do other things and have strong feelings about women and people of color on his own time. Yeah. Can I tell you my favorite Disney story of the week? Yes. Do you, do you, have you guys heard about the King Charles Clause? No. Yes. Oh, that so, was so good. This is so good. So Governor DeSantis in Florida, mad about Disney, don't say gay. 
passes a bill to take away Disney's like 50 or 60 year old weird tax exception district, the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Mm-hmm. So like Disney was like basically a city right yeah. in this like huge area. And they got to they ran everything and they were exempted from laws. And like, it's weird. It's weird to give corporations cities in America. <laughs> um, but they had it. They had it for a long time. Whatever. Florida. They come out against the don't say gay bill in Florida. DeSantis does his thing, tries to punish them for it. So he passes the law. He replaces the people who run this district with like five of his own handpicked people. It comes out yesterday, day before, right before those people took power. Disney, along with like Vanguard and BlackRock, passed a bunch of bills, giving itself permanent power over the district (laughs) and completely disempowering the new board. So good. And so the new board is literally like, we have no power. Like, all we have is the power to maintain the roads. And Disney is like giving itself a 30 year development agreement. It no longer needs approval to build buildings of any height or assign development rights. And then it says, if the court finds this agreement is illegally in perpetuity, we will extend its term by the following This declaration shall continue in effect until 21 years after the death of the last survivor of the descendants of King Charles III, King of England, living as of the date of this declaration. (laughs) And they did it all. And their thing is like, we held meetings. No one came. Like the board held meetings and we passed the resolutions. (laughs) And no one came or paid attention or told Governor DeSantis. It was a real Bart losing to Martin in the Simpsons moment. Yeah. I mean, and so the board is like, they, they... we have to like sue Disney to get the power that we're supposed to have back. <laughs> it's really good. I mean, it is like corporate trickery at its finest and it's like hard to root for. Yeah. But I'm like rooting for Disney because it's fun. Like you, you pick the funnier one and you pick that one. <laughs> yeah. It's like if, if succession had two more seasons, like that would for sure be a plot line in one of the episodes. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, let me just read this quote. This essentially makes Disney the government. Ron Perry, one of the new board members appointed by DeSantis, said the board loses for all practical purposes the majority of its ability to do anything beyond maintain the roads and maintain basic infrastructure. And it's like, oh, they just wrote themselves a contract and signed it. <laughs> said, does anyone object to an and empty no room? One, and because, that was it. because it's like so fundamentally unserious, no one paid any attention and they just got away with it. It's really good. So good. That's like the Ike Perlmutter thing is funny in its way because they just allowed like the cranky old man to stay at Disney. He just and they laid him off years. after he tried to do a coup. Uh, <laughs> this is like deeply like you went up against Disney's lawyers and you thought they wouldn't and they didn't and they were suspiciously quiet the whole time. Yeah, they were just like, yeah, yeah whatever. It's going to be fine. It's and very it good. was. <laughs> and they pinged it to King Charles. King, uh, the King Charles clause is like icing on the cake. It's right? amazing. Yeah. <laughs> It's very good. I have I have no notes. That's perfect. Uh, mine is that Elon Musk is now the most followed person on Twitter, which is like fine, great. Congratulations, Elon Musk. Everyone should quit Twitter. It's a cesspool and a horrible place, and it's only getting worse. And everyone should leave. Uh, Did you listen to the Mastodon episode of Decoder? It's terrific. It's very very good. Uh, everyone should listen to it. Well, thank you for complimenting me. Do you think Mastodon is going to survive? No, Mastodon is not the answer. <laughs> okay. I think Mastodon is going to be fine, but I think. I, I have a story on Activity Pub that's coming in the next couple of weeks because it's this, it's, it's the, the protocol thing. everybody is betting on, right? It's like they're betting on the open web instead of the instead of AOL, and like that's essentially where we're headed, uh, or at least a lot of people think we're headed. And what I've heard from a bunch of people about Mastodon is that Mastodon is probably not going to be like the largest platform in this space, but it's it was really 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 important that Mastodon was there, 
for the last like six months or so that like that there was a thing that proved this point that it can and should exist and we can still have what we want in a better way. Even if Macedon doesn't win, it will have like earned its place in history just by being here at this like pivotal moment, yeah. which I think is really interesting. Activity pub in general is fascinating to me. Uh, it's the sort of, how would you describe it? It's like RSS, but good. That's one way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's essentially, it's, it's just a very simple uh, communication tool. Like you can build all kinds of stuff on top of it, but fundamentally it's a way of, it's a structure for taking a type of content and distributing that type of content. Like that's really all it is. And then people are building all kinds of social networks on top of it and messaging platforms on top of it. And the idea is I can make a thing and anywhere that can read that thing, it's closer to email for social media, really, than anything else. That I, I make a thing and it can be read and interacted with from lots of places in a standardized way. And that's a better vision than one platform owned by a guy who just wanted to be the most followed person. But the real reason I love this is because this happened right after uh, our friends Casey and Zoe over at Platformer reported that there is a secret list of, I think, 35 people on Twitter who are being artificially boosted by the algorithm in order to, I guess, like keep them happy. And the list is hilarious. It's like Mr. Beast and Elon Musk, but also Drill and Cat Turd. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's just this random list of like relatively influential tweeters who are given extra shine on the platform, presumably in order to keep them happy and using the platform. So it's like Elon Musk put his thumb on the scale such that he is now the most followed person on Twitter. Like, congratulations, I suppose. You did yeah. it. $44 I, billion dollars later, you beat Barack Obama. Good job. <laughs> uh, Twitter is rolling out its API payment structures this week. We're all going to lose our blue check marks soon. Yep. All Whatever. Right. Um, Do you guys remember a few months ago when we had a big argument about whether we were going to pay $8 a month for Twitter Blue? And at, Alex Heath vociferously said, we're all going to. I don't yeah. remember what you two said. And I said, there's absolutely no chance in hell. Uh, I if no I didn't way. say that, please, nobody find the clip and send it to yeah, me. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely not going to pay for it. No, of course not. Who like <laughs> it's now it literally has reached the point. Actually, Kranz, I think this was your case back then. And you're right. So kudos. It's embarrassing yes. now to be the person who paid for Twitter Blue to the point where they're going to let you hide your checkmark, even yep. if you pay for Twitter Blue. Like that's how far around this has come. I love yeah. it so much. The other piece of the puzzle is the API limits. Yep. So you there's a free tier i think it's 1500 tweets a month uh which is nothing for most 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 apps using this that's nothing uh like we have an auto tweeter built into our cms that is not enough for for us just us let alone vox media so like a bunch of publications have to figure out like are they gonna pay to tweet their stories Ooh, right like uh that's just a weird imposition of a cost uh, I think the New York Times said it was definitely not going to pay for Twitter Blue for its reporters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I, I doubt that we are. I think we have better things to spend our money on. Like, I'd rather spend money on reporting. Also, it's charging an additional fee for, like, publications and stuff, right? To be verified. Well, you can get your own special verification badge for even more money. So you can... I mean, the thing that is, like, whatever is being said today is not the thing that is true tomorrow. <laughs> Correct. Like, the yeah. the the... the <laughs> Who knows? Whatever I say (laughs) today on this podcast about what is happening is definitely not what will be true next week. The big idea is that Twitter is going to it's going to start costing money to post Mm -hmm. right in a variety of ways, whether it's you want to be have your replies seen and you need Twitter blue and that's going to cost money or whether you are an app developer or publisher and you tweet enough that you need API access. That's going to cost money and imposing the cost on that side is super weird because there's no value on the other side. 
So if I pay money onto Twitter, what am I, how do I make the money back? No one knows. I've seen a bunch of creators asking that recently. This They're like, yeah. okay, let me get this straight. You're going to charge me money to post so that you can put ads next to my post that you take this was all Cat of the money from. said this. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's Cat not turd. a bunch of creators. It's <laughs> right. Elon's it's number one guy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Old cat uh, Yeah, and and so it's like, I'm you're, you're asking me to pay to do a bunch of work from which you accrue all of the value. Like, that's a bad deal. I'm no economist, but like, that's a bad deal. <laughs> like there are like cookie shop owners that can do this math. Yeah. <laughs> like no pH, like a six-year-old eleven eight sounds like let me get it, let me get it straight. I gotta pay to set up shop, but then there's no one to buy the lemonade. You're gonna give me ten dollars and then I'm gonna drink the lemonade. <laughs> That's how this works. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. I, I I know. All right, here's okay, so that's Twitter. We'll see. I think the next inflection point is when they start charging for API access and they take away the, the check marks. Agreed. And yeah. I think that the line and the curve goes a different way. Get ready, Mastodon, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Even if it doesn't survive. It's all Tumblr. Uh, okay, I have two for Lightning Iron. One is very fast. The new Sony ZV E1 came out this week. It's like an RX100 with a full frame sensor in it. There's no other way to describe it. Like it's yeah. that model of camera, which is literally Neil's dream camera. Like what you just described is everything you've ever wanted your whole life. Yeah. So I have a ZV1. Right. So the camera I'm looking into right now is a Sony ZV1. I have two of them as webcams. They're just like cheaper RX100 class cameras. They have APS-C sensors in them. They're great. I love them. ZV E1, a little bigger, but same physical concept. Full frame sensor, interchangeable lenses. Just go watch Becca's video with it. It's so good. It's great. It's such a good idea. What if we make a full frame camera that kind of just acts like an iPhone, right? It just like does it all for you. It just like lets you feel, like just run and gun shoot with it. It's so expensive. It's like $2,200 for body only. And I'm like, oh, but I want it really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how they get you. But go watch that video because it's really cool. And like for all of our what is a photo conversations and AI video conversations, whatever. Cool cameras are still really cool, you know? And like, there's something about this one that just makes me want to go start a YouTube channel. Like, it's a piece of hardware that is like inspiring to think about using. And I think that's really cool. Uh, so that's one. Go watch that video. Also, Becca's good and she might have half sold me the camera. Yeah, go watch the video. Okay, here's my last one. I just think this is like a very, we talked about Matter and Smart Home. It's taken three years since Google invested like hundreds of millions of dollars into ADT, the, the security company, to compete with Ring. I straight up forgot that happened. Like until right. I saw this headline, I absolutely forgot that happened. Three years, $450 million they invested in ADT because they're like, Ring is killing us. And they finally have rolled something out. It's called the self-setup system. And it just like integrates Google Nest video doorbells and cameras into ADT and gives you a bunch of sensors. You got to pay $25 a month, $24.99 a month. And then you also need a Nest Aware subscription, which is $35 a month. <sighs> and the starter package is like nobody knows how much it costs. So Jen had to run around like asking executives at Google and ADT, like, how much does this cost? Because you keep saying it's going to be $220, but that's just the introductory price. And soon it will be $480. No. And it's like, Why? wow. Just. All like the whole nest story landed in this place where three years after they spent almost half a billion dollars to invest in this company, they're like, now your nest cameras can alert the cops through your ADT subscription. I just don't know what they're doing. It's like the most expensive, very simple API of all time. Like, congratulations to everybody involved there. Yeah. How did that take three years? Nothing in any of this announcement 
sounds like three years of work. There's just, it sounds very much like they, there's like one person at Google and one person at ADT who talked to each other and they like lost each other's phone numbers for two years. And then we're like, should we do it now? And then they did it. And now here we are. Yeah. Like where's the stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Where are the new products? Where's the, it's just like the reason you would invest in a company like ADT is because they like have sales and service and dealers and da, da, da. And it's like, nah, it's just your Google cameras. You already have to hang up by yourself. Like, I don't get it. It's super weird. It's just completely emblematic of like Google lack of focus. Yeah. Yeah. But it's out. Jen actually says pricing wise, it's like compelling once you add up all the services. It's just you got to add up all the services. And the point <laughs> is you should have a bundle. No, thanks. Anyhow, look, I, I started on the high of the ZVE1. Yes, I spent $2,200 on a body only <laughs> full frame handled camera. <laughs> That's exciting. No, I will not spend $50 a month on a Nest Aware subscription. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> to, to protect my family. But if you put a full frame sensor in that Nest Cam, you know, back in. <laughs> For sure. Uh, all right. We're over as always. Uh, this is a delight. We should just have like wide ranging philosophical. Wait, that's our show. That's what we do every week. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, we have actually a lot of coverage. We didn't talk about the TikTok ban this week. We talked about it a lot last week. There's a lot more coverage on the site of that. Yep. Uh, the political alliances are actually shifting. Like Rand Paul came out against it today siding with a bunch of progressive Democrats. Like, that's weird. It's weird. That's weird. Yeah. Um, and his argument is like, this is a weird imposition on the First Amendment. It's weird. It's weird. Me and Rand Paul together at last. So go look at that coverage because it's important. I think I will just say this in response to some of the like Instagram Reels comments I saw from our clips last week. It's not about China or not China. It's like if the United States government wants to do something like this, they have to make a good case. I, they didn't <laughs> it's just like pretty flat out like they're not doing that right now and like yeah i feel bad that the wi-fi guy didn't know how to ask the question about the wi-fi and there's like 500 people trying to explain to us what he really meant no but like he wields the power of the state so like he has to do a good job and that's like I, there's just like a disconnect there where like i think we're all too sympathetic to people who are making bad decisions about technology it's like you're gonna shut down an app that millions of people use anyway it's all on the site addy wrote a great piece the TikTok ban is a betrayal of the open internet. Go read it. Also very Virgie. This has been a very Virgie episode. You should listen to Decoder. Eugene Rochko, the CEO of Mastodon. There's a lot of activity pub conversation there, which I swear to you is important. Yeah. Uh, next week, we're wrapping up our Centennial series with the CEO of Hasbro. We talk a lot about Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons. And like, there's a lot of controversy in those communities. It's very good. Um, but here's the thing that I learned. Hasbro, 100 years old, started in 1923 by the Hassenfeld brothers. It's just the Hasbros. Wait, really? <laughs> it's it's so the Has. Good. It's like it's how Hasbros. Adidas is Adi and Das. They're just yeah. two people. It's the Hasbros. Yeah, but think about 1923. They're like, oh, we're bros. Like, it's just like it blows your mind. You're like, this language didn't exist in 1923. Also, the Hasbros is like an ice cream shop that I would go to every single day. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah, it's very good. That's coming next week. And Wednesday show, what's on the Wednesday show? Wednesday show, we're going to talk about Matter and Sidewalk. We're going to talk about a bunch of Microsoft AI stuff with Tom, part of the sort of ongoing question of like, what is AI actually good for? Microsoft's doing a bunch of interesting stuff, so we're going to dig into that with him. Uh, and then we sent Monica Chin out to Times Square to test a bunch of laptop microphones, and it went so differently than I expected. It was <laughs> fascinating and really fun. And uh, it's going to be one of those episodes that like occasionally sounds terrible, but in the service of good things. So it's going to be, it's a good one. Journalism. <laughs> yeah. All right. I love it. That's it. It's for chest. Back home.
And that's a wrap for VergeCast this week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, subscribe in the podcast app of your choice or tell a friend. You can send us feedback at VergeCast at TheVerge.com. This show is produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. This episode was edited and mixed by Amanda Rose Smith. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters, and our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. The Vergecast is a production of The Verge and Vox Media Podcast Network. And that's it. We'll see you next week. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.